In this episode, uh, John and myself were able to catch up with Mark Seeley, whose work appeared in Oak Issue 2. Mark is a professor of psychology for over 20 years, most recently at Edmonds College. Mark has published several books, uh, recently Civilization Heresies, which explores in short, remarkable vignettes the destruction of wild human nature and delves into foundational corruptions brought about by civilized life and civilized ways of thinking. Uh, I think everybody will really enjoy this discussion. You can find it in expanded format in print in Oak issue number three, which is slated for the end of winter, early spring. Uh, if you're able to subscribe, um, that's a great way to support Oak Journal. If not, uh, you can wait for the pre-order, which hopefully will be out by uh, February. All right. Well, I hope you enjoy the show. Maybe I can start if you don't mind. Uh, Go for it, John. General question. Uh, okay. Uh, I'm just wondering how you went from psychology to uh, anti-civilization, Mark. <laughs> yeah. Um, actually, it. it Psychology is what sort of led me there. It, actually, um, I mean, I'm a my area of specialty was uh, cognitive psychology. Right now, I, I teach every kind of psychology class that they offer. I'm sort of a, a generalist. Um, I don't really specialize in anything, but I was, you know, cognitive psychologist, and I was really interested in in uh, framing effects and uh, you know how we, you know, the answer to the question depends on how the question is actually asked, you get completely different answers. You could use the COVID kind of thing, for example. Uh, you can say that you have a 2% chance of dying from COVID, or you can say there's a 98% chance you're going to live from mm -hmm. COVID, and you get completely different responses from people depending on which one of those you use. So I was really interested in that kind of a thing, and that kind of led me into this place where I sort of examined my own, like, you know, how I was framing the world. And it was really couched in this mechanistic science kind of thing that the, that the human mind is a kind of machine. I mean, cognitive psychology came out of the computer metaphor, you know, for the mind. And, mm -hmm. and so I was talking about things like short-term memory buffers and stuff like that that just made no sense when you started to really think about um, applying the, the, you know, sort of that technologizing of, of human thought. Um, and so I, I, that's sort of the initial kind of where I was at. And then I read Daniel Quinn and his Ishmael. And that, that just, it, it was, there was something about that, that really simplistic, and it is simplistic, uh, simple kind of distinction he made between the leavers and the takers that even though it was super simple, it, it, it seemed to like hit it right at the joint. And yeah. I got really interested, I got really interested in that thing and that, you know, what would cause people who were living in perfect harmony with the world for a million plus years uh, to suddenly not do that. And the way he presents it, you can sort of see there's this, that the, there's, a, there's a viral kind of quality to domestication. Uh, and so then I started reading, and I went from uh, Daniel Quinn, actually, to Lewis Mumford, 
who really describes kind of the early civilization formation process that, that was kind of fascinating. They, and the role that, uh, that uh, you know, the division of labor and the top-down hierarchical power structure, that per, per pyramid structure of power and, and all of that. And I was already teetering on, you know, anarchism just as a general perspective uh, politically. And, uh, and then I started, then I read your, uh, I think which one, the first book of yours I read was, I think, Running on Emptiness. And it was like, oh, there are people out there that have already thought about this stuff. <laughs> and, and from there, I just, um, yeah. And then, you know, it, it's even more complicated than that because during this time, I was, this is, we're only talking like 12 years ago or so. Um, you know, I, I was diagnosed with cancer and I went through all this, you know, stuff with that. And I started, uh, I started on the paleo diet just as a kind of, okay, well, um, I'm eating food that my body hasn't really been evolved to eat. So what happens if I, if I start thinking about that more intentionally about what I put in my body? And, uh, I, so there was a personal kinds of things I was doing. And my wife and I, at the time we turned our, our, our house into an urban homestead. You know, we were doing all kinds of, um, you know, growing our own food and trying to be food self-sufficient. So there was all of that in my personal life that was going on at the same time. I was uh, doing this more uh, cerebral academic kind of uh, stuff. And uh, I don't know, it just kind of all fell together uh, all at once. Wow, wow. Well, you know, your interest in cognitive psychology, I mean, you know, in the current issue of Vogue, your piece, What Did the Civilized Really Know? I mean, there, that's the, you know, that's uh, that's on target there. You know, similar focus, if you will, and, and more developed, I guess, in, in the case of your uh, thinking. Great piece. Yeah, and, well, and, and um, you know, I actually started pulling this stuff into my classroom, uh, you know, and sneaking it in, uh, sneaking the primitive stuff into my, my psychology classes, because it's really easy to start talking evolutionary psychology. You can start talking about you know, where do we get these behavioral tendencies and and what is knowledge anyway is one of the things that I cover. And uh, most of our knowledge in our society right now, it, it's all based on authority. Like what you know is what other people have told you or what you've read someplace. It's, you know, very little of what we know about anything is actually based on first-person experience. Right. And now there's so much yeah. written on technology, machine learning, do can the technology actually think? And then you you know you have to you have to consider what uh, what is thinking. You know, uh, I mean this is a very big topic as AI and algorithms and all the rest of it race along and and you know make all these claims and promises. So it's it certainly fits there in terms of the topicality. Yeah, well that that AI thing that. Um that's like a pet peeve of mine. Um, there's this, and it goes back to that uh, idea that technologizing of the brain. So you you can, if you think of the brain as a machine, then it's obvious you can just build a machine that can do what the brain does. But the brain isn't a machine, and you know, for all the technology we have and and all of the, the neuroscience uh, 
capacity that we have right now. Uh, we can map out the brain in terms of what it's doing in real time right down to the individual neurons, but we still have absolutely no idea how a bunch of twitching neurons gives us the first-person experience of the color red. You know, we exactly. can't even explain that, that qualia or whatever the, the philosophers talk about, that first-person thing. Um, and so when people talk about AI being, like, conscious or something like that, that's just, that's to me, that's just ridiculous. Uh, yeah. But, you know, the other point of that, though, is, is the AI is allowing us to completely outsource um, everything. You know, we don't even have to think about what to do. It tells us when it's time to do whatever, and, and it knows yeah. better than us. We'd be stupid not to listen to it. And that, sure. Yeah, that kind of... <laughs> Have you uh, have you run into Raymond Tallis's work, Raymond Tallis? Uh, no, I don't think so. Raymond Tallis. Oh, he, he's quite marvelous. I think he's a doctor in Scotland, actually, and he's he's written quite a lot. And he just points out that the brain is not a computer. It's nothing like a computer. I mean, he just shreds all these ridiculous uh, uh, points. You know, it's very good stuff. So I want to ask you, using this probe of of virtual immortality, of uploading our first-person consciousness, do you think that's possible? I don't think so at all. I think it was G.K. Chesterton once said, a madman isn't someone who's lost their reason, that they lost everything but their reason. <laughs> and you can see how the notion, uh, transhumanist notion, of uploading a self onto different media and getting rid of the disgrace of the biological body, how that would attract to, to reasoning machines, reasoning machines in California and so on. Uh, what's wrong with it? First of all, it believes that somehow consciousness is computational, that it's about information in the narrow Shannon and Weaver sense, which clearly it isn't. And Shannon and Weaver are very clear to separate their idea of information uh, from the broader idea of information where you have a conscious informant uh, and a conscious informee. So first of all, there is a mistake of reducing consciousness to information. The second thing is it's almost like Swift's uh, Gulliver's Travels, it's almost a carbon copy of what happens in the Academy of Legado, which is the idea then you can extract from the brain information. Now, how would you do that? What state would you have the brain in? Well, the brain is changing all the time. So what are you extracting? You're extracting information from the brain of someone running, someone lying down, someone looking to the left, someone looking to the right. In other words, you'd have to somehow freeze what's going on to the brain and then make that frozen slice if it was information, as it were, stand for the whole history how do you, of the brain. How do you see that kind of intercept, intersecting with our moment now, like in the in the pandemic and the the kind of uh, banality of the sort of constant transhumanist push to to just do everything uh, through your screen? I mean, it's it's like kind of a transhumanist light thing. Um, yeah, I mean, is it uh, as dire as it would seem? Do you think? For me, I, I think we were already heading that way. Um, this, the, the COVID thing has sort of allowed us to accept the um, electronic mediation a little bit more than uh, in more parts of our life. Like I was just earlier today, I was doing an advising appointment with a student on Zoom, and it's there's you know people treat that as if it's the same thing and. There's absolutely, there's so much that you lose when you put a screen between people in terms of the psychological impact of the 
connection you're having with them, and it's just, I don't know. Can I have the question about, uh, I don't like to veer back and forth too much here, uh, off the train of thought, but conspiracy theory. So much attention to that, uh, whether we call it the authoritarian personality or not. And allegedly, this is increasing uh, quite a lot, QAnon and all the rest of that. Do you have any uh, particular thoughts on the, this whole conspiracy theory? Why why is that so big? Uh, or is it really that big? I mean, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I, I have, I, I'm still trying to work out what the heck is going on with that, because it it still blows me away that there are people out there that think there's this massive uh, left-wing cabal that is eating babies and harvesting hormones and uh, has a giant pedophile ring or whatever. Uh, that that whole that people actually can believe that it, it, it's kind of like a flat Earth thing. It's like how can a person actually believe that? And I, you know, I think it. It probably goes back to that outsourcing of knowledge. It's like, how do you know anything? Well, I read something about it. Where'd you read it? It doesn't matter. It was written someplace, so it must yeah. be there. Must be something to it. And, and uh, modern culture, uh, you know, what's destabilized or deconstructed is the is the matter of fact or truth. You know, that's in other words, there's you can say anything, and that you have. Since there are no foundations, uh, one thing is just as good as another. I mean, I think that infects the uh, the culture, the ways of thinking too. It, you wouldn't call these people postmodernists by any stretch, but I mean, if you undo the uh, any basis for coming to uh, you know sensible conclusions, then anything goes. You know, anything gives, which doesn't explain why it's so big. You know, like you say, but uh, it's part of the picture. I think. Yeah, I mean, we've had a lot of conspiracy theories, I guess, uh, through the years. Um, it's pretty, I guess it's, it's pretty easy to sign up for, for one now. Um, it used to take a little bit of effort. Um, so yeah, and I mean, the, the sort of meme level knowledge, uh, there's always a, a, a sort of, there's a insistence that the documents and the evidence is there. Um, you know, it's, it's a lot of like role playing, um, I mean, I get a lot of it, I think, is an escape. Um, you know, it's, it's basically like a live action role playing, but it's on Twitter and 4chan and 8chan. Um, but, you know, you, you're making believe that you're part of a, an, a secret army that's going to bring justice and stuff. Um, so I think it, it fills a lot of the same video game uh, uh, sort of avenue, too, um, just with the people that I, I've seen get involved in it. So as a society, we're going, we're turning into a giant Dungeons and Dragons kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, maybe, maybe. I mean, I guess if if everything is sort of, of getting worse and and crumbling in the in the basic foundational uh, lies of civilization are, are are less easy to maintain, then you know it kind of makes sense that the population that's already immersed in screens just picks something that they feel has uh, more value. Oh, well, I have a question about <clears throat> more about the specific political culture, uh, or a little more political, maybe. Um, <clears throat> there's yet another Unabomber oriented documentary that A&E is going to be doing 
I've had some conversations with the outfit that's doing it. And the point is, this is much more interesting than some of these other ones by far, at least potentially. It's it's about what do the Unabomber type theses about technology, uh, critique of technology, have to do with currents today, radical currents. Uh, are, are younger people even aware of uh, Ted, you know, the, to put it one way? And uh, and what is what does it have to do with anti civilization thinking? I mean, this person I've been talking to sees. I mean, you know, Kaczynski is very narrowly focused on technology uh, and nothing else, right? So this, you know, they're asking that question: How can you not see it as the larger thing? I mean, it, as a subset of anti uh, anti civilization, it you know it, it contains the critique of, of technology, but there's more to it, you know, and the, the roots are, are deeper, for example. And anyway, it's, it sounds like this could be quite interesting, especially it just raises the question again, probing the question of where are we at as an anti-authoritarian milieu or a culture? Which way is it going? You know, do you have any, where you're at, uh, Mark, do you, what, what do you pick up in terms of uh, people that are anti-authoritarian? Yeah, uh, mostly the the people I'm exposed to are are they're you know LGBTQ protesters and and uh, and Black Lives Matter kind of protesters and and their anti-authority sort of bent is mostly couched in this. Uh, there's a way to fix the problem that that we don't need to dismantle the system. We just need to tweak it so that everybody gets to play. I mean, that's that's sort of where the people I'm exposed to. I mean, that's that's I, I, you know, I'm living here not too far from Seattle, which has a lot of you know anarchists around. But I am exposed on a daily basis to you know progressive left kinds of people who who in some ways actually embrace the civilization more firmly than even the conservatives do because the conservatives. Uh, especially the super right wing Christian ones, they think that you know this is all just one step to God taking over the world and doing whatever. Um, but the, the progressive left really embraces the idea that we can have a system and we can tweak it uh, to make it so that everybody gets to play equally, and then it's going to be this utopic, wonderful world where we can even adjust our technology so that we don't make carbon, uh, you know, we don't have carbon in the atmosphere and all of this other stuff. Um, so I, I'm not really picking up, you know, the the, the extreme end of that uh, in terms of the, the the extreme anti-authoritarian. I'm probably the most anti-authoritarian person in the room wherever I go around here. I think. The uniform of the Ted Kaczynski thing. That's really interesting. That that they're actually making the connection between, you know, this technological dependence and and uh, the anti-SID thing, to me that's, that's such a logical connection, I can't see how you couldn't make that. Um, you can't have technology in any form beyond just craft, you know, like ceramics and glass making maybe, without having some kind of authority structure. You just sort of need that. You, you know, somebody has to go down in the mines, right? You have to have... Yeah. Um, and so to me, it's just such a logical thing that, that anarchism 
and anti-civ and, you know, anti-tech, those things are all just there. They're all the same thing. You can't have, they're mutually implied, I guess, is what I would say. Yeah, I, I think so. And I, I found it encouraging that this production company that doesn't seem to have any, you know, radical pedigree, this guy is talking like, like we would, like the three of us would be talking about these these challenges and these questions and why don't people see that or if, how much do they see it or why don't they see it? You know, this stuff like that, that's that's amazing. And they're going to, you know, peddle this as a mainstream offering. So maybe that in itself, if, if it happens as, as terms of the conversations I've had, uh, you know, I've, I've had a little hand in some of these other ones. And, you know, you want to see the ideas come out. You want to see things challenged and not just the story of, Ted and his brother and blah, 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 you know, and the drama of it and everything. That's been done a million times and it's, uh, well worn, but that's, it's not, that's not what's relevant, of course. Yeah, of course, the, the, the whole thing with, uh, the Unabomber kind of thing, it's like there's this, uh, uh, ad hominem that goes there, you know, right away that sort of you can just dismiss whatever he said because, well, you know, you, Try to blow people up, right? So you, yeah. you just and and any I think anything you do to just sort of get the ideas out there, uh, separated from the person, even uh, or separated from that ad hominem kind of thing that will happen, is good. And uh, yeah, it injects something into the discussion to at least to some degree. Yeah. Do you do you think that that's um, that reaching Oh, uh, I know this is something, you know, John and I talked about it with media. And do you feel like the idea of trying to reach people and, and, and talk to, you know, media and different things like that is, has potential in a positive sense or, or, you know, you know, where do you, where do you see that? Especially with your yeah, talk but- about framing. And I know you even talk about it in the book, you know, anti-civ sort of akin to this like anti-social idea. So here's what you think about that. Yeah, that you know that, that again. That's that's a really slippery kind of thing in my mind because as soon as you start to sort of map out how we can, you know, disseminate this information in a way that's going to change people's thinking, we you fall right into that that way of thinking that there's a way to tweak the system to make it work. And on the other hand. The more people who become aware of this, or the more people who start thinking like this, I mean, it's like a, a little seed that you plant, you know, like, gee, maybe civilization isn't all that good after all. I mean, that little seed can can sprout and grow, you know, in, in, in a person. Yeah. So, any way to get it out there, even if you're, you know, I, I don't know, mainstream media, even, just to get those seeds out there, like, so, you know, the Avengers movie, right, where they had to wipe out half the population. You know, that's kind of an interesting thing when you start to think about it, the underlying um, idea that, you know, there's just too many of us and we need to do something about it. And here's this guy who was supposedly a bad guy who did this, but was he really a bad guy? And, you know, so even things like that can sort of plant those seeds where you get people to think about um, what is the purpose of all of this and is it really necessarily... A good thing, and does it have to continue? 
do, do you think that that like sort of anti-civilization framing is is not helpful I, there's there's usually a um a knee-jerk reflex reaction to that it's the anti part it's the same with you know anarchism you, you know um, it, it, it's that you're against stuff and um uh-huh. And then there's also this 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 fact that we're all kind of dependent on this, right? So we're living in a, a, a way that we need to have this system doing things for us because there's very little choice for most people. And so then you set up cognitive dissonance, which is a really powerful thing. It's probably the most powerful uh, motivator there is, right? So I... Civilization can't be bad because I'm involved in it, and I wouldn't intentionally be involved in something that was bad. And so the anti-civ message runs into that um, sort of self-preservation kind of thing. um, I happen to like my cell phone. I happen to like these things. And you're telling me that that there's uh, this these have bad consequences, and so. I'd rather not deal with that. I feel, among other anti-things, I'm also an atheist, and um, there's this uh, book, I can't remember the author right now, but it's it's called Street Epistemology, and it's, it's, it's a philosopher uh, atheist who he goes out and he talks to these people who are evangelizing you know like on college campuses you'll see people who are you know Jehovah's Witnesses or the evangelicals out there you know trying to recruit and he'll talk to these people and what he does is he instead of being confrontational he flips it completely around like he really wants to believe but he can't. He just doesn't. He doesn't understand faith, and he doesn't understand how you could believe something based on faith. And so they, they get into a, a dialogue, and it's it's um, you know there's no confrontation. So the person is you know there's no um, protection essentially for the person that he's trying to work with. And so he ends up planting these seeds. Like you know, if faith were uh, you know how do you how do you know that something is true? by faith, and because I have a friend who's a Muslim, and he really believes, and he has just as much faith as you, I'm sure, but one of you guys is wrong. Uh, it's sort of that kind of approach where you get the person to think about it, and then it becomes their idea. It becomes part of how they're structuring things, and you can work around that, um, you know, that, that self-preservation kind of uh, force field that, that pops up when you threaten a person's way of living. Uh I don't know how you would apply that with the anti civ thing. I've been thinking about this. I've really been thinking I have this sort of long-term goal that I'm going to be able to map that out in some way that's going to be, I'll have something that I can write that will be like a, a how-to, you know, how to convince your grandma that civilization's a bad thing and we should, you know, start thinking about uh, dismantling this or whatever. But I don't know. I don't know how to make that transition there well i think you can find uh common interest i mean maybe along the lines of what mark was describing there that approach for example community 
everybody wants community. That's there's you're not fighting with anyone. You know, you don't really run into people who who are against community. So if you want it, what happened to it? You know, what's what's destroyed it? How has mass society erased it as part of this whole progression? And then you're not you're on the side of community, and <clears throat> and presumably the person or persons you're talking to, they are too. And then you, you know, you can kind of open that exploration possibly. Right. Yeah. I mean, finding some sort of common common ground of of dialogue is is really important. I mean, I I have many friends that I interact with anarchically out here that are uh you know not explicitly anarchists um but we have a common uh understanding and language that's mostly based around um where we where we live and and our daily sort of needs and tasks around um you know whether that's like forging together or just uh you know hanging out uh so yeah it's I, that that's very helpful because it's 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 very uh that's what's going to matter in, in a very real sense i started after the civilization heresies um i started right into another thinking about another book along the same lines and i, I originally had it titled um what was it um Becoming human, and, and uh, the idea was to have it more of an applied kind of thing, where I would pull in my psychology knowledge and and um, anarchism and, and anti-civ and primitivism all together. And you know, how how can you go about making your individual personal life uh, more wild? Basically, how can you rewild yourself and with the idea that rewilding isn't a either or thing, it's a matter of degree. And even right now, you can be a little bit more authentically human by just making a couple little changes in your life. You're a little more authentically human now than you were before. And and you know how many of these things can you do? And once you start down that road and that sort of thing. And I started writing it. I wrote quite a bit of stuff. And um, in fact, that that piece about knowledge that that was an oak that was originally something that was going to be in that. Um, but uh, I quickly decided that that was super arrogant, and I have absolutely no idea how to become an authentic human. But, but it was it was more like a, I was really talking to myself, but how can I do this about, you know, how can I make myself? And I wasn't really walking the walk while I was talking the talk there. So I kind of tossed that aside. I Maybe in 10 years when... You know, I feel like I'm up to that. I might try that again. And instead, I went in this real kind of surreal sort of way, and I've, I've got a new book that I'm finishing up, and I don't, it's it's a novel, and this is going to sound kind of weird, but it is, um, uh, it's, it's a novel where it's the human condition as uh, told from a dog's perspective. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's sort of like, you know, there's this dog that can understand human language and nobody else knows that and he goes about he has this, these adventures and and during that time you know he reflects on the things that are going on around him and uh, you know what is, what is it like to be a human embedded in civilization and what does that look like from a dog's perspective and wow. it, it's, it's, been, it's really kind of it's been kind of fun to write and it's it's uh, 
I really like it, and nobody's going to read it, so <laughs> I have no idea what's going to happen with that. Uh, but uh, we'll see. Um, so that, that's my next. That was my next project, and so now I'm starting to think about. I'm going to see if I can get that published, but I'm going to start. I'm starting to think about where else I can go, and, and um, this is really, you know. This is where my only strength is. I'm I'm not I'm, I'm too old to be out there on the front lines, and and I'm actually, frankly, too embedded in you know I've got mortgage debt and I've got stuff, and so you know making myself more authentically human has really been a struggle. And um, I work on relationships with people. You know I can do that, um, and then I write, and that's pretty much what I do at this point. Would you say uh, you've had a somewhat satisfactory uh, experience in terms of access? I mean, I think well, because you know you've you've gotten out there, and your writing is amazing because it's got the rigor, it's also got the poetic and personal. I mean, you've got different, not different styles and voices all jumbled together, but you you have you're able to do. To, to write in, in these in these ways that uh, I don't think you see very often combined uh, that strength you know that that's what uh, that's what's effective I think you, to, in terms of connecting with people and do you think uh, you're getting uh, published and and maybe that's why I you know I'm I'm super bad at self promotion I'm I'm really bad at soft promotion <clears throat> and I think that's been something that's been holding me back a little bit perhaps but um, you know I've, I'm getting some interest in the books um, you know I, it's it's not like uh, I'm not going to make any money with this that's for sure <laughs> but, uh, but I am getting some feedback from people and it's it's always positive it's always well I hadn't ever thought about it this way and and now I'm kind of have to think about it this way, and I don't really know if I like what you just wrote because now I have to think about it. Um, uh-huh. To me, that's really funny. that's yeah. really positive feedback to me. That um, I have family members that are afraid to talk to me now, but that's oh. <laughs> that's not necessarily a bad thing. Well, encouraging, huh? Yeah, there's there's really a limited market out there. You know, if you want to get a book published about this stuff and out there, and you know, I, you probably know way more about this than I can even imagine. Uh, there's, um, you've got a platform and, uh, you've got, you know, decades of, 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 you know, prior writing on this. So you've got, you've got some, some teeth behind what you write. And for me, it's just, uh, you know, it's what I have to do. It's sort of like, it's a compulsion. It's something I have to do. And it's really, I see it as, this is, you go with your strength, and this is my strength, and so this is what I'm going to do, because I can do this. Um, yeah. Like I said, I can't be, out with, can't be out there taking the tear gas in the face, but I suppose I could, you know. Contribution, Mark. Oh, thanks for that. I love the idea of the dog book. That, that's really, uh, wow, I, I can't wait. Yeah. Well, and I deal with a lot of the, the same kinds of issues, but, you know, taking it from, you know, because I, I really talk about domestication a lot, obviously, with the dog, and, 
and there's this one part of the book where the dog um, meets up with a feral pack, and he joins a feral pack, and so, you know, we talk, talk the dog talk, thinks about you know, what it means to be, you know, tapping into its, its wolf uh, genetics a little bit more directly and that sort of thing, and, and uh, yeah, it, it's, it's kind of fun, but like I say, I don't know if there's, you know, a market for that, but we'll see. Yeah, hopefully so. Yeah, publishing's well, a, a hell that's for sure. If you look at how yeah. successful that was, uh, oh yeah, amazing. You know, we, maybe it's another book like that, even more appointed, more. Uh, yeah, that could be something. Yeah, that was always yeah, the thing, well, with Quinn. Yeah, and, 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 and to be honest, Ishmael was sort of the original. Um, Impetus for that, I thought, okay, that was great. Now, what animal would I use? I sure wouldn't use a gorilla. Um, and my dog was sitting next to me at the time, and I looked over oh. at the dog and I said, well, that's interesting. Let's see what I can do with that. <laughs> you know, it deals with all kinds of things. Like he, you know, spent some time tied up on the side of the a porch because he, you know, attacked somebody. And so they, they tie him up, and he's he spends two years uh basically confined to the side of a porch and so then he thinks about what freedom is and things like that and and you know yeah it it, it covers a lot of ground um but you know um well you you were kind of talking about this uh, this idea of uh a how-to guide um you know sort of like an incremental rewilding it's like I guess, you know, is, is necessarily true, you know, that we, there's a, there's always a, a state of, you know, more or less. Um, although I guess that would anger some really maximalist kind of, kind of anarchists or like, uh, some insurrectionary guys, uh, that say it's either there or it's not. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. I just wonder, and you talk about, uh, I think you have a piece in here, you talk about John Gray's, uh, the silence of animals, um, you know, kind of how do, uh, I, I guess I, I'm, I'm not sure how to phrase the question, but how do we avoid falling into that, that sort of pitfall of, of, um, you know, we're going to have this like gradual expansion to some like final state or, or something like that, you know, and that it's, it's, it's going to constantly be, uh, changing and, and, and be quite a bit different than, um, yeah, I don't know. The future primitive is not necessarily the, you know, it's not the past. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure what my question is, but maybe you can take something. Yeah, well, I think you're, you're actually touching on something that I've really been struggling with ever since I started thinking about these things. And that's, you know, that uh, there's this, there's this tension there that, um, we we grew up in this system, in a civilized system, and so we have taken on this this framing, back to that framing effect, that, that we see the world in terms of a, a technological template, right? So there's um, problems to be solved, and there's stages to be crossed. You know, there, there's a it, it's it's a real mechanistic sort of you know, even something like rewilding, you know, first we do this and then that and the other thing. And so there's a procedure involved. And, and all of that is this technological thinking that's 
sort of the problem. And so how do you approach this without falling right back into that that systems thinking kind of trap that is the problem to begin with? Um, and it, so that's that's the, the sort of underlying tension. And I don't know really how to get away from that other than just to recognize that it's there in the deep, you know, it's like I don't know what the answer is, but I know what the answer isn't, and the answer isn't more of the same, only different kind of thing. There's, I don't even know what I'm saying. So, <laughs> I guess I matched your, I don't know what the question is, but yeah. I don't know what the answer is kind of thing. So, right. But there is that tension, and I see this a lot as I'm reading, uh, you know, some of the people who think and talk uh, along these lines, that, that there's, you know, a big focus on the physical part. Right, so it's easy to think about what does it mean to live without technology. What does it mean to live without, you know, civilized authority? Um, and you can sort of, you can you can think about the physical part. Well, we need to be able to, you know, have food. We need to be able to, um, you know, learn how to make the tools that we need to get the food. And so, you know, you can look to the the, the primitive for that. You can look to the past and how was it done and the Paleolithic and all of that. Um, you know, so. so but there's a focus on that that um, that physical part. Um, but the problem is that you know the future, the physical future is probably going to be considerably different than it was, you know, ten thousand years ago. Even uh, they're, they're, the problems and the the um, you know the things, the conditions of of life for humans post civilization might be really different than the conditions pre-civilization. Um, that doesn't mean that you can't live an authentically wild human life, right? That's just, um, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know where I want to go with that. But, but the focus is always on the, the physical part and, and not enough on how we're thinking about things. And we have to get somehow work through this, this, um, this civilized framing that we all, have and it's there. It's part of how we think. Uh, that technological framing of our thought. Um, I don't think it's just me. I think everybody I talk to seems to have that kind of going on a little bit too. <laughs> and so I don't know the answer to that. But maybe part of that is uh, what's been quite a lot overlooked uh, historically: the, spir- the spiritual, which is a very elusive dimension, but. Um, I think there's more openness to that, uh, raising, um, well, talking about it on a, on a very, very primal level, you know, and somehow reconnecting with that is as difficult as, as the dialogue about that would be, but I think it has a lot of rewards and, uh, you know, that's, I mean, there are people, there's certainly anarchists who just would well, we just come up with some, well, you're just talking uh, new age shit. You know, this is a backward thing. This isn't uh, radical. But uh, I've been surprised at how many people that are very uh, strong, very, uh, well, very militant for one thing, have a have a quite a spiritual side, but they've been afraid to bring it out. And maybe that's... Uh, you know, maybe that's that should be there. And I, I mentioned uh, I was in Turkey, and I was 
speaking, and there was a young woman who said, I think it based this Green Anarchy deal is a spiritual movement. And I was just kind of knocked out by that. And she had to leave, catch a bus to go home. So I didn't get to, I didn't get to ask her, what do you mean? What, wow, what is that all about? And, but, you know, it brought up the subject. I've been kind of thinking about that ever since. And, uh, anyway, I don't know where that goes, but I think, I don't even know how you, uh, start to describe it or start to, uh, apply it. Do you think that might be part of it? Yeah, absolutely. I think absolutely that's part of it. And the idea that green anarchy, uh, green anarchy is, is spiritual, that's just, that's awesome. Um, and so part of what I was like trying to do with civilization heresies was to sort of show that the, you know, getting in touch with nature or the other way around, the fact that we see ourselves as <laughs> somehow separate from nature sets up this weird, Dichotomy that doesn't exist, and that you know that hunter gatherers don't necessarily have a spiritual that can be separated from everything else. It's like mm. you, know, you are embedded in this this ongoing living thing, and so the spiritual is literally everything. It's like you know it's in every rock, it's in every animal, it's in you know, that you are. You are participating in this. Uh, yeah, you know, we talk about spiritual as if it's a separate, separate kind of part of the person. But you know, if you're living an authentic human lifestyle, I think you know that it would make sense to talk about the spiritual. It would just be life, and and that's what's missing. One of the things that's you know, many things that's missing is that we don't have that. We don't have that sense of connection with other people in the world um, and so the spiritual is really that sense that we need that connection and, and um, you know, it takes many different forms and many different people I suppose but the idea that green anarchy is a spiritual kind of thing that I really like that that really re- resonates with me yeah so it really is a, 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 like the idea that we need to get back in touch with that part of ourselves that's missing in the way we're living now 